Hello, and welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm excited to share this conversation with you today as we take a look at the professional side of dance. Today's guest is Caroline Liviakis. She's the founder and executive artistic director of the Caroline Liviakis Dance Company. She's choreographing and producing live performances and interactive experiences. In her most recent project, she brings her creative visions to digital form as a choreographer and director of film, music videos, and commercials. Caroline currently teaches at Loyola Marymount University and is in pre-production for her debut feature-length film, Lessons in Love. And towards the end of our conversation today, she shared this amazing idea. What happens if the dance isn't just the backup to the star of the show, but dance is actually an integral part of telling the story? It's an amazing vision for our dance industry. Caroline and I talked about transitioning from dance for fun to choosing it as a career, the importance of connecting with the audience in commercial dance, and cultivating relationships and what networking really means. And we wrap up with some great advice for those of you trying to chase your own dance career passions. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Will you just introduce yourself for a little bit and tell us about your your dance journey, what that's been like for you? So my, my name is Caroline Liviakis. I started my dance journey through musical theater. I was a musical theater kid. My whole family, we all performed in musicals growing up. And eventually I transitioned. I was, as a little kid in multi-generational musical theater, there's not a whole lot of parts that you can get outside of Annie. (laughs) And so I kept finding myself, you know, as an eight-year-old kid getting, they were like, we want to feature you in some way, but we can't give you a part. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept getting these random dance solos in these songs. So the lead character would be singing And then they just put a spotlight and then I would just do this little dance in the corner and then I'd go away. And I just kept finding, I just kept getting those moments. And finally, my mom was sort of like, why don't we actually start getting you in dance class? So you actually start learning what you keep doing. And so then it just kind of blossomed from there was a dance studio kid, you know, doing all of the tap, jazz, ballet, hip hop, modern, contemporary, all that kind of stuff. So after I kind of went through my childhood with that, I went to college and I was done with dance. I, I didn't see it as a future for me. I was studying philosophy and I was very intent on getting my PhD in philosophy and going the professor um, researcher route. Mm-hmm. And, but I was doing dance. At, I was also a dance major, but just doing it for fun and for just myself because I wanted to keep dancing, but it wasn't at all a career path. And, but finally I kind of realized I don't want to be doing this. And, and after I was also kind of dabbling with law school. And so there was just a lot of stuff outside of dance that was pulling me in that direction, but I still kept choreographing. And finally, one of my professors was like, you know, you can actually choreograph for a career. That's actually an option. Yeah. And because I had had this kind of idea in my mind that because I wasn't a very good dancer myself or a very technical dancer that I, and I was by far one of the worst in my department. So a lot of people were kind of like, why is this girl here? She doesn't really, you know, keep up and belong. Mm -hmm. But when I would choreograph, I would really shine. Mm -hmm. But that just wasn't a huge emphasis in the department that I was in. And so I had this idea like dance is just not for you. But when I realized, oh, you can actually choreograph as a career and you do belong in dance. It's in this facet, though. Um, it was, there was just kind of this light bulb that went off in my head. So I ended up, I went to grad school for dance, um, to kind of kill time, I guess, and to get (laughs) myself ready. I just wasn't ready to face the world yet. 
And so I started my own dance company in San Francisco. Um, we were, were a repertory-based company and you know put on live performances. And then I made a transition into film where I am choreographing and directing um, my own dance films. So, so far I've done many short films that have been around in the film festival circuit. And I am, in, I've written some feature film scripts and embarking on my directing and choreographing my first feature film. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. So, and then meanwhile, I've been teaching, you know, yeah. like in studios and universities and all that stuff. Yeah throughout that period. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. I would love to dial in a little bit about that, like, aha, epiphany moment. Because I think that's yeah. really amazing. And I think people, it happens to a lot of us of like this path that you think you're, quote, supposed to be on, or like, I don't belong, as you said, because I don't fit this mold. Um, so mm-hmm. you said, so dance was not the original plan, was not the long-term plan for you. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah. So when when you kind of had that aha, you're like, wait, I can choreograph. I can make this a thing. Was that exciting? Was that scary? Was that like a one day it switched or like a year long contemplation? It would, it was kind of a mix of, I mean, it was an aha in terms of, Oh, like I've been doing this all along. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I've been, I had been choreographing my whole life. I would be with my I'm the eldest of four kids. So we would put shows on for my parents all the time. And I would write the music. I would write the lyrics. I would choreograph all the routines. I would create the sets and write the script. And I would put on these full dance productions for my parents. And when we were in theater, I would, even as a kid, the choreographer of the show would ask me to choreograph little pieces for the other kids. And And so I realized, and in college I was choreographing too. So I realized I've been doing this all along, but it was just so natural as kind of something that I did. I didn't kind of put it together as just, this is actually something that it's not, I I don't know. There just wasn't, but it was kind of, it was scary because I didn't know what the building blocks were to get there. I mean, I, I had people saying you can do this, but then I would say, but how do you do it? Like, how do you become a choreographer. And I remember one of my professors and she's a very, very, very successful dancer. Um, but she doesn't, you know, she's not a choreographer. And so I I would ask her, I was like, how do you, how do you get work out there? How do you get paid? How do you, what, Mm -hmm. how do you get work out? And she goes, Oh, you just, you get a theater, you rent out a theater and you choreograph and then you put on a show. (laughs) It's that simple. And like, and I was just, I was like, oh, okay, thank you so much. But in my head, I was just like, there's got to be a lot more steps involved in this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not quite. And so, <laughs> so that's kind of the extent of the advice. And then there was also the advice of like, well, get an agent. But how do you get an agent if you haven't, don't have any workout yet and you don't have any connections? And so making it as a choreographer when you haven't been a dancer already established in the industry mm-hmm. is super difficult. It's not impossible, but it's, it's very hard. And yeah. I, I do have to say it's been a very strong uphill climb I bet. with that. Cause a lot of people become dancers and they get their, they get their feet wet in the industry and they make their connections and then they start choreographing and they already have this, this base, sure. this foundation. Well, I think think a lot of really talented dancers do make great choreographers, but Mm -hmm. don't have to be a super technical dancer to have the vision and the artistry to be that choreographer. But do you think people have a, did you feel a stigma, I guess, of like, I wasn't that technical dancer who has this professional, you know, career resume going into it? Um... I mean, I always started my own projects, so I I just did everything on my own. So I guess I wouldn't, in terms of being a choreographer, I'm an extremely technical choreographer. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because I can't physically do other people's movement doesn't mean I don't see the details sure. of movement in and of itself. And sometimes it takes somebody that doesn't physically just get it. Like I just don't physically get how to do ballet. I mean, I, I can do it, but mm-hmm. not well. And mm-hmm. like modern, I just, I don't take on other people's styles well, mm-hmm. but 
I'm able to create my own style and I understand the nuances of what that is. And so there is something to be said. There are a lot of great dancers that are good choreographers, but there are a lot of people that aren't good dancers that are amazing choreographers because they're not limited by the technique that comes so easily or somewhat easier to them Mm -hmm. in one genre. And they're able to kind of expand outside of that. Um, and also work within their skill set, which is going to be different than what an existing style has to offer. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And I think there's like, no matter what you're teaching, whether you're teaching at a, you know, choreographing at a professional level or you're choreographing at, you know, and teaching at a studio for eight-year-olds, you know, either way, you don't necessarily have to have the ability to execute the skills that you're trying to, uh, to do. And I, that's, I think there's, dancers can feel that stigma of like, oh, I'm, who am I to do this if, mm-hmm. if I couldn't execute, but that's not always the case. I, like, the creativity piece is a really, a more important part maybe than the physical execution. Yeah. Well, and it's just also, I think as you get older, um, a more, it's just a more nuanced understanding of what dance actually is and what it has to offer. Cause when you're young and in a, you know, in a, a studio or something, it becomes like, Oh, who can get in the splits The you know, who can get their legs like past the splits. And it becomes this very tit for tat kind of competition. And where it's just on really, it's things that audiences don't really care about Mm -hmm. much, but when you develop more of an understanding of dance as first of all, an art and a communication for platform, then you understand more of the connection that you're building with the audience. And so that idea of just like, oh, well, I can bend my back in half. Well, I can't. So, but if you're thinking of, well, what is the audience registering and what do they care about? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, those kinds of little things that dancers care about and they compare each other against, but the audience ultimately doesn't really care that much. Right. And so figuring out how in your choreography, but also in your performance that you're developing this connection with the audience, that's ultimately what ends up kind of trump or, you know, triumphant Mm -hmm. over these other little things. Oh, absolutely. I was just talking with another dance educator was saying how on her team that some, they, they have their competition of like, oh, but she has, my skill is better than hers. Why is she in the dance? And I'm not, it's like, well, that was one technical element there's so Mm -hmm. much more to this and that maybe that other dancer has an expression or a style or is able to communicate this routine in a way. And it's not just about the most technical skill in the routine and who is able to do it and who isn't. It's that communication factor that's going to make the bigger difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and for people listening, like I'm not at all downplaying technique. Technique is super important. Mm -hmm. And it, that, so this is not to say, let's just throw all (laughs) caution to the wind on this kind of stuff. Yeah. But it is to say, like, even in my university program, when I was, when I would be dancing in performances with, with my peers who they could do, you know, four turns easily, I would fall out of two turns. Like Mm -hmm. I was just, I didn't have that. But I kept getting, I, whenever we would perform afterward, audience members would come up to me and be like, oh my God, I couldn't take my eyes off of you. You were so, and meanwhile, like I knew like, okay, I was not doing as good of a job in the movement, but I knew how to sell the movement that I was doing Mm -hmm. to the audience. And I was connecting with them. And at the end of the day, at the very least 50%, I really think it's more like 80% of the audience's attention is really coming to your face and your chat, you know, your chest Mm -hmm. to face. That's where your expression is really coming from. And then they'll look at your feet to see if it's really, you know, horrendous. But as long as it's somewhat decent, a lot of people who, especially who aren't trained are, are not going to notice that as much. They're going to connect more with you as a person on stage. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I would love to shift a little bit about your like passion for dance because it's clearly like evolved Mm -hmm. and changed some and like I said it was not it's not that it's been this driving force your whole life right like it was just something you enjoyed but then has Mm -hmm. changed um do you think your is it a passion for choreographing now is it a like what does passion mean for you how does it look in your life 
Um, well, I mean, I would say dance has always had, well, not always, but since I started doing it has had a very strong role in my life. And it's been, I mean, I was dancing all the time and just analyzing movement has just been a huge driving force in my life. But I always, for me personally, the word passion is, is, is a tricky one Mm -hmm. because, and I think a lot of, and there's, I, there's really good intention behind people that use it, but I think that the word kind of connotes this idea of like, like, Oh, I love this so much and I'm dancing and I'm filled with passion. And, Mm -hmm. and the reality is, is that we have moments of that, like happiness Mm -hmm. that dance brings. But for me, dance is not there's moments of that happiness, passion, that burst of this kind of whatever creative, you know, happy burst of energy. But a lot of it is a slow methodical grind. Yeah. And to be able, so that you are able to experience those micro moments of passion. But a lot of what gets you there is the, is quite frankly, not enjoyable and not passion filled. Mm -hmm. Um, like for the past, especially the past few years, but in general, I would say maybe, and this is being generous, I think maybe 5% of my time actually goes to choreographing Mm -hmm. and I'm a choreographer, Mm -hmm. but like, especially when I was operating my dance company, I'm talking with lawyers and accountants all day and dealing with, you know, rental agreements and insurance and, contracts with dancers and all of this stuff where it's like, this is so not passion at all, (laughs) but it's, and it's actually the opposite. It's, you know, (laughs) but, but I can't get to those. And even when you're in the studio too, and rehearsing a lot of times when you're in rehearsal, doing what you want to be doing, I'm putting out my vision, doing what I want. It's not this creative burst of fun. It's like the clock is ticking. I've got to get this piece done. I've got to get this and you do all of that for months and months, and then you get your one moment. Yeah. And one moment will pop up somewhere. And I'll never forget this when I was preparing for my first, my big debut, um, evening length debut show with my dance company. And it had been four months of intense rehearsal and of basically building the company from scratch. And I, I genuinely didn't remember a super ecstatic time in that whole process. Cause it was just, it was like, it was just relentless. Yeah. But then we were in tech, we were just getting set up for tech and I'm backstage getting, you know, costumes finished up. And I, I peek through the curtain and my dancers are out there on stage while the lighting designers playing with cues and stuff. And they're rehearsing the, the opening dance and they're like, one, two, three. <laughs> and they're just all doing it all together. And I was just looking out there and that was kind of my moment for that was my moment of passion and happiness and wonder in that whole process of like, wow, I'm the reason that all these people are here right now. Yeah. And they're working to bring to life what's been dancing in my head for a year. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to do a lot of these things that you don't want to do in order to find those moments. Yes. Oh, I, I love that answer. That is so true because I think there's a, maybe a myth or a thought that like, if you love dance and if you love this, you love everything about it. Or if you're having a hard day that maybe, maybe, you know, maybe your time's over or maybe you're not meant to be here anymore. And it's like, no, most of dance is really hard. <laughs> and most of yeah, those days seriously. are really hard, whether you are the, the yeah. dancer or the creator or the coach or the teacher, like most of those days are really hard. But I think we all stick around because those moments are so incredibly powerful that even if I only yeah. get a few here and there, I'm still going to keep doing this, right? Because yeah. they are so yeah. incredible. And yeah. And I almost liken it to almost like a compulsion in some way. Yeah. Like when I do with me doing dance at this point, it's, it, it's not because it's like, oh, I just have to, I just want this artistic, whatever. It's like, I just, I can't do anything else in my mind. Like, not like I can't do anything else. Uh There's many other things, but it's just like, I'm like, no, no, no. Like I have to, 
And mm-hmm. it feels like if I'm not doing it, I'm not living. Yeah. And that to me is kind of more, I guess, realistic and also the ultimate form of passion of you, of you have this vision you want to accomplish. And there's just, there's just not an alternative. You've yeah. got to get there and you'll, you can change how you get there in certain ways, but you want to realize this ultimate vision. Yeah. I was just thinking about it back to like the very first time I choreographed something. I was like a senior in high school and like co- a teaching, you know, baby ballet, right? They were six, seven, you know, a smaller thing. And we have our end of the year yeah. recital and their piece was on stage. And I had my, like, I had a solo as a senior, right? It was like the, you know, goodbye solo, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm backstage to do my solo. I'm watching them and just a completely different emotion from everything I had ever experienced. Right. And then they came off and I'm hugging them and I'm crying. They're like, okay, you're, you're a lot, but that was fun. You know, (laughs) but like I was a mess. (laughs) And then my solo music started and I wasn't even on stage and I had a like, Oh shoot. Like I need to get back. But like I had completely forgotten that I'm supposed to be performing still because I got so wrapped up in what it felt like to you know, give that vision to somebody else and have them perform yeah. it. And that was my yeah. aha at 18 that I was like, oh, I actually like being backstage more than I like yeah. being on. And I tried to push, yeah. I pushed the professional world for a while and kind of like I, I should quote unquote, I have to keep doing this. And then it didn't, it didn't last much longer before I was like, nope, I'm better back here. I like it backstage mm-hmm. and watching what's happening and watching what you're able like you said, your vision coming to life or watching it through someone else's joy and execution. Like I always loved that, that uh, watching it come through from somebody else is so powerful. And life will reveal that to you too. I mean, this is kind of, I guess, getting into some thing, you know, of, of, I guess more advice, but Mm -hmm. life will, life will reveal where you truly want to be. And so even if, you know, in your head, you're like, oh, I just, I have to be, this professional dancer. And, but then you either have other interests. So it's like, Oh, I'm actually spending more time teaching Mm -hmm. that might, that's a sign. It's not just because of money. I mean, really there's, there's a money component for sure. But also if you just are like planning your classes constantly, there's a sign that that's what's stimulating your mind. Um, and also there's just certain things that you know, people will set out, like, I want to be a professional, you know, LA or, a, you know, con- or a commercial LA dancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well then you're going to be out auditioning at least five times a week. <laughs> like that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Multiple. And if you're not out there hustling like that, and then you might like the idea of what that is like, but your effort is revealing that you truly don't want that because mm-hmm. it's there's a whole lot of baggage involved in that life right but yeah and getting to that ultimate vision yeah yeah but I agree like leaning into what do you actually enjoy because if you only do get those passion I would call them like flow state moments you only get a few of them then what else what do you actually enjoy spending your time on and is it act do you enjoy being in class do you enjoy teaching do you enjoy auditioning and putting yourself out there do you enjoy like what is it that brings that you like you said you're spending your mental energy on and listening mm-hmm. to yourself and understanding like oh I actually do really enjoy this other aspect of dance that may not be what I thought I wanted to do and the evils you're willing to tolerate too because everything is going to have the bad sides mm-hmm. and which of the bads, which bad sides or which bad things are you most okay tolerating? Sure. Is a huge question to ask yourself. Seriously. No, I agree. You're right. Because I think there's also this perception of, you know, in younger dancers and no matter what career you think you want, that once you find a career you love, you love everything about it. And that's just not Mm -hmm. true. (laughs) There's going to be aspects. I love my career, but there's aspects I don't like and that's okay. Yeah, There's pieces of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to shift a little bit, I think, in the way you and I were talking before that uh, relationships matter and like cultivating relationships yes. in this industry and that we, you and I align on that and understanding that relationships are such a big part of your career development and, and um, having a career you love. But can you share a bit about, you know, crafting those intentional relationships and creating those lasting partnerships in the dance industry? 
Yeah, I'll just, so I'll just start with kind of, I guess, showing or telling why this is super important. And sure. then my experience on how, cause I've been on both sides. I'm on both sides of me. I have to make these connections and relationships myself, but then there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of dancers coming to me wanting jobs from me. And so I get that kind of experience of what is it like where I'm trying to seek a job and I'm trying to create relationships to get jobs and then mm -hmm. other people trying to build relationships with me to get work. Sure. Yeah. So, um, just from my experience, so out of my university teaching jobs, five out of, or it's either six, I have six out of seven or five out of six. I can't remember the total right now, <laughs> but all of them except one have come through somebody that I've known mm. and that I've, and where I basically just called them up or emailed them and was like, Hey, do you have any teaching spots open mm -hmm. this semester? And they're like, yeah, I would love you to teach this. Boom. You're on. Mm -hmm. And if I had gone through just an open application for these positions, I, for almost, yeah, for pretty much all of them, I wouldn't have gotten them mm -hmm. because I just didn't have the experience, but these people knew me, they knew my work, they had seen me teach before and they're like, I want you, I mm -hmm. love your stuff. Right. And so if I hadn't crafted those relationships, I would have a very empty resume in that part of my life. Sure. Same with every other aspect. Most jobs in this industry come from people. You usually give work to people you know. It's just part of it. Mm -hmm. And I used to, when I was earlier on, um, I used to think networking was like, you go into a room, you're just schmoozing people up and you've got your business card and you're like, <laughs> Hey, Hey, here's my business card. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. It's like flash to this you know, side of the room, flash to this side. But as I, as I've gained more experience in the industry, it's my understanding of network has really, of networking has really changed where it's not about how many people can you go up to? It's not about the numbers. There is definitely like a little bit of a schmooze vibe sometimes, but that is not sufficient. Mm -hmm. And that gets you to sort of butter people up, but that doesn't build the relationship. Mm -hmm. Time and consistency build relationships. Yeah. And consistency is really the biggest thing, but it has to occur more across time so that it doesn't seem like you're just trying to get something. Yeah. You're actually trying to get to know people and for them to truly get to know you even outside of work. So when you talk to people, you're not just talking only about work stuff. You're getting to know the actual person. So there's just, you know, thinking about other people and just building over time, these relationships, that's really what ends up getting you work and also just giving you a community to work within. Cause if you're just solely, and I've tried to like <laughs> do it on my own because <laughs> I'm not as much of a, I'm more of a homebody, yeah. you know, less of a schmoozer type of person, but it, I definitely earlier on in my career by not doing that, it, I really suffered yeah. from it and doing it. And I, I did it for a few years consistently and I benefited from it. And then I pulled back and that three years of pulling back and just staying in my own world and doing my own thing definitely paid the price for that in terms of it just, you've got to continually stay out there yeah. around people. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think a big piece of that is that you're showing up as your genuine self. And you said mm -hmm. like you're delivering your best work, your best advice, your best, you know, listening ear, whatever it is that they need from you at the time. And then that gets shared and understood. And I'm the same way. I'm like, my entire career is based on, I'm just going to show up as me and give you hundred percent of what I can do. And then that gets shared and talked about. And um, sometimes I am, like you said, giving work to others. Sometimes they're giving work to me. And it's that it's constantly, it's all built on relationships and, but they're all genuine relationships. It's like, I don't, you know, you're not reaching out to someone because they're famous or they have a following or they have, you know, yeah. a name recognition. It's like, no, if I genuinely think we connect in some way that I, we would work well together or, you know, then that's showing up as your genuine self without this agenda ahead of time is what builds that relationship. Yeah. I mean, connecting ideologically is, or in creatively in that mm -hmm. way is definitely the best way to 
to maintain something more long-term that's going to pass just getting one project. If like, I'm more likely to work with a dancer that totally agrees and gets what I want dance, what I want the future of dance to look like. Mm -hmm. And if they communicate that they understand that and they appreciate that, it's like, okay, we've just built a deeper relationship than just, Oh, I want to be in your piece. Right. So But um, one thing that I'll add on to the relationship building, and this is, it's going to feel like I'm like, you know, okay, mom or whatever (laughs) on this, but you know, like when, cause I, I would, I've taught these careers classes and, you know, different colleges. And when I bring this stuff up, a lot of people like, okay, you know, and they just kind of brush it off, but I'm completely serious. This is the number one important thing is you have to actually create yourself or make yourself into somebody that people actually want to be around Mm -hmm. and actually want to work with. And a lot of it comes down to the basics of manners. Like a lot of, there's a lot of lack of manners out there. And I know that this sounds old school, but it really is not old school. I can just on with all of the hundreds and hundreds of dancers I've worked with, I think off of memory, I can name three people that actually said thank you to me for the opportunity. Wow. That's not a good, and it's not like, it's just me. It's there's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, this is, this is a thing out there mm-hmm. and like saying, thank you. Writing thank you notes goes a long way. Yeah. Handwritten thank you notes go a long way. Yep. Acknowledging someone on their birthday mm-hmm. and knowing it's their birthday without Facebook reminding <laughs> you it's their birthday. I'm right. serious. No, like, I'm so, I'm with you laughing. That's I... important. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Like writing it in your calendar and then just be, and you just call them up, like calling people up. Mm-hmm. It's you stand out so much more that way. The bar is so low in how to stand out, yeah. like giving someone a phone call, giving someone a suite, only two, you don't even have to do a paragraph, just two lines. I really appreciate this opportunity. It meant so much to me. I'd love to work with you in the future. Right. Done. Yeah. But it shows that you took some time and you care. And then they have a physical reminder of that. Mm-hmm. I keep thank you notes in a box. Yeah. And I, so it's just, and other people might just like, who cares, th- toss them away. But you'll have that moment of someone registered that what you did for them meant something. Yeah. Also, when you talk with people, looking them in the eye and fully engaging with them in eye contact the entire time, mm-hmm. not momentarily scanning the room not looking at your phone, but giving, even if it's five minutes, if it's just five minutes of your time, I'm going to give you five minutes of my time where I'm, and not stare, you know, but you're, you're engaging with the person in full eye contact for that five minutes. And then you can say, Hey, I got to go. It was so great talking to you. Mm -hmm. But when you were there with that person for that five minutes, you gave your full self to them and people will notice that. Yep. And they can feel it too. You can feel when someone's not fully there yeah. and that taints the experience that you have with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like, again, basic things, but like pushing your chair in, mm-hmm. you know, you, uh, these are things that people will subtly notice if it's like, okay, you are not thinking about other people. If you're right. the person that's thinking about other people and also even thinking about cleaning up the messes of other people. It's like, yeah. I always will push in other people's chairs or you always make sure to arrive five minutes, 10 minutes early. Mm-hmm. If you're that person that's there early, you're taking care of things, you respond right away, you say thank you, you look at people in the eye, yeah. it goes a long way. Yes. And I cannot emphasize that enough. Oh, I, yes, I fully agree. Yeah. And I, I think you're right that like, sadly, the bar is gotten lower and lower, <laughs> but yeah, really but it takes so. to stand out. Uh, but it's true. And I, I too, I have um, in my university office, I have thank you notes on a big bulletin board. And from my dance world, I have them in a box that like I go back to them on those really hard days. Yeah. Like we were talking about when the passion's yeah. not there and we're having a hard time. Yeah. I go back yeah. to those. And a lot of those dancers are the ones I still have relationships with today because yes. we, you know, they've lasted, you know, 10 years, 20 years because I have they took that time and it resonates with me and I try to do the same. And then you have those longer relationships that are real that started with those kind of small gestures. But you're right. I think Mm -hmm. it demonstrates that you are thinking about more than yourself. And that's powerful to have people recognize you're not just self-promoting and you're not just there for you. And like you, you have to, you know, do a little of that, but you can do it in a way that is thinking of others and 
showing that respect and care and mm-hmm. just a little bit goes a long way but relationships are I think they're the foundation of all of what's what's made my career and it sounds you know it's been such an important part of yours too yeah well and this is also just to put it out there these kind of behaviors and are not just going to be something that you just turn on when you're in a networking situation it becomes part you have to make it part of just how you live your life right of just being aware, very self-aware in your environment, taking care of things and just being on top of it. If yep. you create that as part of your life, then you don't have to turn anything on. Right. Absolutely. When you're in a situation. Yeah. I have my dad taught me this when I was younger and I haven't thought about it in a while and it's just now it's a part of what I do, but um that when you're like at the checkout line at the grocery store or at Starbucks or whatever, like people have name tags. So it's really easy Mm -hmm. to like accept your coffee and be like, thank you, Caroline, have a nice day. And like, yeah, people don't acknowledge service workers in that way. And just being able, like saying their name, I can't tell you how many times I do it, like, you know, grabbing my grocery bag at, at the, you know, local store and saying their name and they just like, are stunned for a second. They're like, Oh, Oh, Mm -hmm. uh, you too. Like have, it's not just this robot, like robotic, have a good day. Yeah, you too. It's like, no, I see you. You have a name. You're working hard today. I appreciate you. And just it, it's like I said, it became, it's just sort of thing I do all the time now, but it, it stuns people because it is so rare to like, just be seen in that moment and understand. And that it goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If, so let's, I love this kind of advice and stuff angle that we're going. Could you share maybe a few pieces of advice for listeners who are out there trying to, you know, chase their passion for dance, have their own big dreams in this industry, whether that's dancing or teaching and coaching, whatever it is that they want to do. What's your advice for that? Um. Okay. A few. Diff- so the first one that I would say is realism within your expectations, which Mm -hmm. this is, so there's a few different, I guess, uh, like trees or whatever Mm -hmm. that this could kind of, or whatever, it's like a Venn diagram or something, (laughs) but, um, understanding what your, a career in dance can offer, like what life does it offer? And, do you want to live that life? And going in with realistic expectations is going to be something just from the get-go that allows you to then continue going on. Um, if you know where, cause rejection is the normal state of things within a dance career or anything yep. in entertainment, especially yep. if you're auditioning all the time, rejection is just the, that's the, the normal state getting any acceptance or even just past the first round of anything is like, whoa, oh my God. (laughs) So having an expectation of that element of, you know, the, the real factor of fail failure and re I guess, understanding that what that means in this industry and also pay, um, you know, money and just the kind of life you'll be able to live. Mm -hmm. That's just really important in terms of understanding that dance is not going to provide there's certain elements like teaching at a university full time, you're going to get these things. Mm-hmm. Being admin at a dance company, you're going to get these things and you're still in the dance field. But if you want to be a choreographer or a dancer, or you're not going to be where it's not a nine to five, mm-hmm. I'm getting my health care, right. I'm getting, you know, two weeks vacation. It's you're living a very scrappy, getting this, getting this, getting this kind of life. And there's a lot of, it's, it's just filled with a lot of frenetic energy where mm-hmm. you're just kind of getting, you're grasping at what you can get a hold of. And eventually that calms down a little bit, but it's, you're still always doing that to some extent mm-hmm. and constantly having to redefine yourself in the industry, especially as you get older. Yeah. Um, so I think understanding what kind of life you want to live and then does dance actually provide that life? or what part of dance provides that life. Because if you don't want to have, if you don't want to be working seven days a week or even, you know, or, you know, and if you want to have a very clear, I work here, I work in these hours and I don't work in these hours. And I, then getting something, if you want to be involved in dance, getting something like physical therapist or like admin or teaching or in a university or something like that, where it's a little bit more structured 
right. would make more sense. Yeah. Um, so that would be just the number one thing. Number two would be, and this is just the advice that I give regardless of if you want to be a teacher or a dancer or a choreographer, it's when you're looking for work, it's you want to understand what somebody is looking for when they're hiring and you have to find a way to communicate how you fulfill that need. Hmm. And it seems kind of basic, but oftentimes like when I put up audition calls and I'll have, and if I require a some type of cover letter or some type of letter of how do you align with my dance company or that sort of thing. I would get a lot of times in my notes from dancers like, Oh, I just, I really want to be in this because it's a great opportunity for me. And I really want to get into film and I want, and they would just go on and on and on about what a great thing it was for them. Mm. And I'm like, I know that. That's why I put this opportunity out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but you're not, but you're not communicating how you are fulfilling what I need and what I want. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be the person that fills in those dots. Yeah. So if somebody is looking for a modern dancer to be, you know, in their dance company, okay, yes, communicating that I have a modern dance background is great. But there's going to be a lot of other people that have that modern dance background. How do you, what else are they looking for? What else do they need? Do they want somebody that ideologically fits with the mission of their dance company? Or do they not care? Is it just one project and they don't care about that? Are they mm -hmm. looking for more Instagram followers mm -hmm. that are going to broadcast the project out? So whatever it is, you communicate, I have XYZ amount of Instagram followers. I'm going to blast this thing out there you know, and I can get audience members to come or it's more of a long-term thing. I really understand what your company believes in and it's a, it's an interest of mine and you communicate that, mm -hmm. but you have to find what that, what's the core of what they're looking for and how can you help them accomplish that? Yeah. And by you filling in those dots, it's going to get you a lot closer. Yes to at least getting interest, I should say, yeah. but the skill needs to be there. <laughs> um, then the third, there, it, okay, one of them, I'm not going to put this as a full third thing, but one of them is definitely just versatility in terms of skills. And so just relying on yourself as being a modern dancer and making a career out of that is really, really tough, especially it, Companies are not really doing full contracts anymore. A lot of it is much, a lot of it is more um, project-based these days, except for like San Francisco Ballet and stuff. But you've got the really big companies that are still doing annual long contracts, but then pretty much most things short of that are not sticking with the annual contract-based system anymore. A lot of things are going project-based. Hmm. So thinking of just making it on being, a modern dancer or just a ballet dancer, unless you get into those really top companies, it's just not going to be a regular part of your daily routine. So you've mm -hmm. got to figure out how you're making money and how you're filling your time. Are you teaching yoga? Are you teaching dance? Are you doing graphic design? Are you doing, there's so many other ways that you can make money and you can supplement your career and build your career with other skill sets. Yeah. So developing the, um, developing those. Um, but my last thing, and, and this is, I guess, a tag along to the, the discussion we had about building, um, about building relationships but a big part of building relationships is having a genuine curiosity with other people. And if you go into it networking, just talking about yourself or asking bland questions that aren't really related to the person in front of you, they're not going to feel like you truly care at all about who they are and about them. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a wall that's still maintained within that interaction. But if you're at, if you're genuinely curious about people and when you talk to them and you're asking them very interesting and specific questions that relate to them and that get beyond the kind of superficial BS that a lot of conversations tend to sit within, mm -hmm. 
that really speeds up the process of building a relationship and of truly getting standing out and getting to know somebody. Yeah. So yeah, those are my four. (laughs) No, well, thank you. I love uh, being able to have space for these kinds of conversations and having people, hopefully the dancers and educators listening, being able to think about a career in dance maybe differently than they have either thought it could be or what it looks like. And so I appreciate your advice so much. So along with the good advice you've already shared, do you have kind of a bigger vision dream for what dancers today um, can be or what the dance industry could be? Yeah. So the, this is what I'm kind of working toward within my films um, right now, but right now the state of a lot of dancers or I guess dance in general, especially when it comes to the bigger, I guess the, in pop culture, we could say is dancers are definitely kind of in the background of a lot of things. And I think we all have experienced this where it's like, I remember even with my, and being in graduate school, our, our dance studios were in the basement of the gym. Sure. And it's, and like, we're, and in a lot of programs, it's PE and dance or dance is part of a PE department. And we're kind of like, we're kind of used to being sort of the last ones to be remembered in yes. the arts, in the art spectrum. And I'm definitely interested in changing that or at least upping the, upping where dance, you know, the, the placement that dance has. But the, the biggest thing would be just the visualization or the prevalence of big name dancers and of dancers actually becoming identifiable personalities, especially on screen. Mm-hmm. The thing that I've just kind of found, because uh, I started out in the dance company realm, the concert dance realm, but now as I've moved to LA and I'm in the LA dance scene, what I've, what's been just kind of really, and I've known this, but it's just the reality of it now that I know these dancers. Mm-hmm is that's just kind of sad to me is to be a really successful dancer here in LA is to basically be in music videos and commercials and in movies. And, but when you see these people and, you know, cause I'll get their reels and it's like, they'll have like a little highlighted dot where their face is. And they're in the back of like Lady Gaga's music video. And it's like, follow the highlighted dot. That's where I was. Right. But they had an agent to get that job they have worked really hard and that's their moment. Their big moment is to be this background figure dancing in a music video, or they were in a film, but they were, you know, dancer number 24 on the side. And the, and it's, I understand, I understand why in some ways, like there's a chorus element, we're a chorus, but the fact that dance is just kind of always portrayed as this like fun sideshow, but then let's cut to the really serious stuff, like the cool musician and the rapper or the musician singing in front, or let's really get to the story in this Mm -hmm. film. That is just something that I just find kind of a tragedy in some way. And where the dance is just also people don't pay attention that much to the choreography because it's kind of fluff in some ways. It's just kind of there to put on a show but then let's get back to the story. And I think one of the ways that this can change is within the scope of film is if we're designing films or some films to have dance, not only as a prevalent part of the film, but as in, as integral to telling the story and where the story cannot function without the dance actually being there. And where we're treating dance truly as a communication style, as it's communicating thoughts and ideas and rather than just like, you know, sparkly fingers, you Mm -hmm. know, wiggling around. And so there's just many things that have to happen with this, but particularly what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm writing scripts. And I think a big part of the way that this is going to be accomplished is if choreographers are actually also directors mm. and if they're also eventually writing their own scripts with the dance in mind. And some of the most successful dance films or films that have included dance, like Chicago, for instance, mm-hmm. that was directed by the choreographer and yeah. you can tell. Yeah. 
because it's shot in a very, and I'm thinking for my films, I want dance to be even more prevalent than it was in Chicago, but I think Chicago is a great starting point. And, but you can tell that somebody that was dance minded directed that because the dancing is not just like cut away. Like when they're editing, Mm -hmm. they're not cutting away on the dances. You can actually see the movement and the characters express themselves through movement. Even when like Roxy's doing her monologue, Mm -hmm. she's got a few movements integrated in there. It's not just stop and start talking, then dancing. And so if we start to get it where characters are lead characters, they can't just be actors where we then cut to someone else doing their movement if they don't know how to dance in the background, or we just give them really simple stuff. It's, they have to be really good dancers and they are dancing throughout the entirety of the film. Yeah. And there's really more of a necessity of being a triple threat. Mm -hmm. Um, And where we're filming, we're filming each movement with the actual movement in mind. We're not just slicing away at it. And we, there's someone who has a loyalty toward the movement. Yeah. So anyway, so I think that that's kind of that amongst other things, but is going to be a step that takes us to where dance we actually have people who are dancers that are much more prominent, you know, figures in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that vision. That's amazing to think about. And if you're right, rather than being the fluff in the side in the background of being the prominent way that the story is told, I think that would be so powerful. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, as we, before we leave, will you just share how people can find you if they're curious in your work and what you're doing in LA? Um, so you can check out my website. It's carolineliviakis.com. And then you can find me on Instagram. I'm at caroline underscore liviakis. Yeah. I don't, I'm not really posting there much these days. I, <laughs> I got a new Instagram account, but yeah. I'll start posting a little no bit. No worries. And I will link those all in the yeah. show notes so people can make sure to find you and your work. All right. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Caroline. I really appreciate you and your sharing your views with us. Thank you.